Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 136 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in this week's episode, we have news of a data breach from Birmingham City Council, which has exposed the details of vulnerable children onto a public-facing website. We then travel to Germany, where there's been a data breach at Stuttgart Football Club. And then to Ireland, where Irish firm Fastway Couriers has had a data breach which exposed the details of some 400,000 customers. Remaining in Ireland, we have news that the Irish DPC is in several clashes with the EU Commission and there is indeed an inquiry to establish whether Ireland is effectively enforcing GDPR. We then return to the UK and if you're a haulier, it's time to renew your driver's consent for you to be able to contact DVLA with issues related to your drivers. We then travel out to the Far East, out to Singapore, where we look at changes that Singapore is making to its data protection legislation. And then staying in Asia, we take a look at the draft PIPL legislation, very much based on GDPR, which is out for consultation in China. And then finally, we take an issue which has become very common on our help desk, particularly now with people working at home, which is advice on how user passwords should be handled and also looking at two-factor authentication. Outside of the show, we are very much looking forward to speaking at the Brighton SEO Spring 2021, which is taking place on Thursday, March the 25th and Friday, March the 26th. It's all online this year and it's totally free. All you need to do to register is to head along to spring 2021 brightonseo.com. It would be good to see as many of you as possible in the audience for our talk, which is at 12.25pm on Thursday the 25th of March. So as always, a good mix of articles here on the GDPR Weekly Show for you. We hope you find the articles useful and informative. If you have any suggestions or other feedback on the show, we'd love to receive your feedback. Just email it to feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive and wherever possible we incorporate your suggestions for improvements into the show. However, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. Stay home, stay safe. Birmingham City Council saw a serious online data breach when allegedly the details of vulnerable children who've been put at risk were exposed on the council website. The data, said to relate to the answers entitled to free bus passes, was uploaded in error by staff and was potentially available externally, Birmingham City Council said in an email raising the alarm sent on Friday, March the 19th. The details were added to the Brum account, the facility which allows taxpayers to access and book a range of services. The council said the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, had been informed due to the scale and serious nature of this incident. A spokesperson for Birmingham City Council said the alert was sent as a precaution, the mistake was rectified as soon as we became aware, and the data was not downloaded. It said the ICO was not planning any action and the council would learn from this issue. However, Deputy Leader of the Council's Conservative Group, Councillor Ewan Mackey, said it was the latest data ever from the authority and did not inspire confidence. Councillor Mackey said, First they allowed staff with a failed DBS disclosure barring service check into school transport, Now they've just published thousands of vulnerable children's data to a publicly accessible part of the Birmingham City Council website. Organised crime gangs running the now infamous county lines pay highly for this information to recruit them into a life of crime. 
Birmingham City Council should be protecting all of its residents, especially our children from county lines, not making vulnerable children's data available on the council website. A spokeswoman for Birmingham City Council said the email sent to staff was purely precautionary and intended to remind staff about their data protection responsibilities to minimise the risk of future data breaches. The mistake mentioned was rectified as soon as we became aware. We notified the ICO in line with our legal obligations and they have confirmed they are satisfied with the way in which we have dealt with the matter and will not be taking any action. There is no evidence that any data of vulnerable children was compromised and uploaded data was not visible to all Burma account users. Burma account data is secure and held on the council's network. Burma account users can only access their own data via a secure password. Our investigations confirm the erroneously uploaded data was not accessed or downloaded and was removed promptly. Although the ICO has stated it does not intend to take any further action, we are taking the opportunity to learn from this issue by ensuring staff are fully aware of their data protection obligations. An ICO spokesperson said, Our aim is to protect people from poor organisational practices that put their personal information at risk. We have a range of powers to help us do that, including working with an organisation to check the right policies are in place. Birmingham City Council reported this incident to the ICO and following inquiries, we decided that their approach was sufficient in this case. We provided data protection advice to the council and decided that formal enforcement action was not required for this incident. We expect the council to update us if new information that affects the circumstances of this case comes to light. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse Thursday 4pm UK time. To Germany now, and soccer club Stuttgart has been fined €300,000 for misusing private data about its members, a data regulator said on Wednesday this week. Stuttgart had been accused of passing on data which was potentially useful for marketing to third parties without informing its members. The scandal has caused some infighting among club officials and has overshadowed the team's return to the Bundesliga under American coach Pellegrino Matarezzo. Stuttgart is currently in ninth place in the Bundesliga. The club has agreed to a costly restructuring of how it handles personal data, said the office of Stefan Brink, the lead data protection official for the state of Baden-Württemberg. The club will also promote data protection classes in schools and for its youth teams, Brink said. Brink's office characterised the case as a negligent breach of Stuttgart's data protection obligation. To Ireland now, and Irish delivery firm Fastway Couriers has seen the personal data of more than 440,000 password recipients being compromised. It's understood that the data includes names, addresses and contact details including email and phone numbers. In an alert from Fastway, the company said the data compromised relates to Fastway deliveries in-flight or undelivered parcels over a period of approximately 30 days from mid-January onwards. It's understood that in total 446,143 password recipients have been affected. Fastway emphasised that no financial data or other personal data has been compromised, nor was any of that data stored on any Fastway system. The firm said that one of its IT systems was hit by a cyber attack that was detected by a third-party IT contractor on February 25th and fully mitigated by 9am on February 26th. Fastway said it had notified law enforcement and Ireland's DPC, the Data Protection Commission, upon being notified of the breach by the contractor on March 2nd. Danny Hughes, CEO of Fastway Couriers, in a statement said, It is distressing that our IT system was compromised by a malicious hack as we are exceptionally careful in every aspect of our data protection obligations. I deeply regret that people's personal data has been compromised and I apologise to our clients and their customers. I want to stress that nobody's financial data was at risk and the issue is limited to delivery information only. We will continue to work closely with the DPC, the Garda and our clients to manage this situation in line with best practice. Fastway says instant response, 
and an independent review of the incident was ongoing. If we get any further update on this from either Fastway Trivia's or the Iris DPC, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Remaining in Ireland, the Irish Data Protection Commissioner Helen Dixon is under increasing pressure from other European data protection authorities and the European Parliament for failing to enforce GDPR rules on big technology companies. In response, Dixon has accused European parliamentarians of prejudice and cancelled an appearance in a parliamentary hearing that she had demanded. The result has been to leave Dixon increasingly isolated as she struggles to deal with calls for action from the EU. The background to these complaints stems from the case against Facebook and its subsidiaries. The Irish DPC has already faced a judicial review at Ireland's High Court over its handling of GDPR cases against Facebook. It also sought and received rulings from the European Court of Justice, but then has failed to act on them. Now, the European Parliament Committee on Civil Liberties, Justice and Home Affairs has raised the stakes. It has asked the European Commission to start an infringement action against Ireland for failing to enforce GDPR. In a draft motion for a resolution, it says it strongly condemns the attempt of the Irish State Protection Authority to shift the cost of the judicial procedure to Maximilian Srems, which would have created a massive chilling effect. Max Srems is, of course, infamous in data protection circles for his action, which resulted in the ruling that the EU-US privacy shield was ineffective. Dixon has responded to the draft motion with two letters. In those, she accuses the committee of not giving her an opportunity to appear and put her case. However, when a date was agreed, she then refused to appear as the committee had invited other parties to also appear on the same day. On the issue of TOS, Dixon claims that the committee is simply wrong in saying she sought to recover TOS and SREMS. In a letter to the committee, SREMS said, The DPC is correct that it did not seek to collect TOS from me and agreed not to do so at the beginning of the case. However, it also refused to pay my TOS, estimated at multiple millions of euros, given the high legal fees in Ireland, despite filing a case against me as a defendant and losing the case. The intention of the DPC to not pay for my legal fees was quickly resolved by the Irish High Court, which decided that the DPC must cover the TOS. Dixon took another swipe at Europe for bringing flawed cases that have been overturned. This has led to the German DPA responding and saying that Dixon's statements are very one-sided and, to quote, often leave her isolated in the circle of European data protection supervisory authorities. Regular listeners to the GDPR Weekly Show will know that we've often mentioned about the action or inaction of the Irish Data Protection Commission against big companies like Facebook. It has taken a disproportionate amount of time for them to take any action, and some would argue that the action they have taken has not been proportionate to the breaches that have occurred. However, we don't personally share that view, but that's a view that has been expressed by many. What is clear, however, is that the Irish DPC is massively under-resourced. Our personal feeling here at the GDPR Weekly Show is that That shouldn't be blamed solely on Dixon. Some of that blame has to fall squarely on the shoulders of the Irish Parliament because it's for Parliament to decide what budget the DPC has. And in this case, clearly, they need a bigger budget so that they can employ more staff. And that's true in other countries too. It's not just Ireland where the DPC is under-resourced. We have heard arguments off the record that some people within the ICO here in the UK feel that their office is under-resourced. As data becomes more and more of an issue and data becomes more the way that people do business, and especially now that I think it's probably fair to say that the switch to working from home is becoming more of a cultural shift, 
all right, it was emphasised by the need to have people working from home because of COVID. But equally, my personal belief, and I know this belief is shared by many, but not by all, is that we are moving to a new hybrid future where people will not be working five days a week in the office. They might be two days a week in the office and three days at home. But that mix, that hybrid mix of working in the office and working at home carries with it inherent data risks. Now, if those risks are to be properly investigated, then it's important that the ICO or the DPC or whoever is the Data Protection Authority in the country concerned has the resources to be able to do it. And that falls squarely on the shoulder of our politicians. With that in mind, we are currently attempting to seek an interview with one of the senior politicians involved in data security here in the UK. And once we have that, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of GPR Weekly Show. And we will also be giving plenty of advance notice of that interview so that you'll know and, of course, invite your friends and colleagues to listen to as well. This is a serious issue and no doubt one which we will return to several times during the coming year here on the GDPR Weekly Show. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse Thursday, 4pm UK time. Returning to the UK now, and if you're a haulage company, it's time to renew your consent from your drivers to have their permission to access DVLA on their behalf. Back in May 2018, the DVLA instructed haulage companies to request consent from their drivers so that they could access driver details via DVLA. But that consent was specifically for three years. And so, of course, in May this year, that consent will expire. And you can't just assume that you can continue to access DVLA with your driver's details. So you really must get their consent. However, recognising the challenges brought on by Top ID 19 and that it might not be possible to get all of your drivers into the office to physically sign a form to give consent, the DVLA has agreed that on this occasion it will accept electronic consent. But nonetheless, that means designing a form to go on your website which then has a tick box which the driver can tick to give their consent. And then in the back-end system, you'll need to record the date and time that that consent was given, because in three years' time, of course, you'll need to seek the consent yet again. If you need any advice or guidance on how to get these details from your driver, then please contact us using the contact details, which are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. To Asia now, and more specifically Singapore, to look at some of the changes which have taken effect from the 1st of February 2021. The main changes revolve around breach notifications which are now mandatory. And the PDPC says that breaches must be notified once an organisation has grounds to believe that a data breach has occurred. The organisation is to carry out an assessment of the data breach in a reasonable and expedient way to determine whether the data breach is a notifiable data breach. Generally, the assessment should be completed within 30 calendar days of when the organisation first becomes aware a data breach has taken place. It then goes on to say, a data breach is notifiable to the PDPC if the data breach either A, results in or is likely to result in significant harm to an affected individual, or B, is or is likely to be of a significant scale. And they've tasked here that a significant scale is anything involving more than 500 individuals. In these cases, the organisation must notify the PDPC of the breach as soon as practical to do so, and in any event, not later than 72 hours after establishing the data breach was notifiable. 
For those of you very familiar with GDPR, you'll notice some striking similarities between the new rules that have been bringing in here in Singapore and the existing rules in the GDPR, which we already work under in the EU and across the UK. The authority also gives a third reason when a data breach should be notified, which says that the organisation must notify the affected individuals of the data breach once the organisation has determined what the data breach is likely to result in significant harm to any individuals to whom the information relates as soon as it's practical to provide the individuals with the notification. This notification will allow the affected individuals the opportunity to take steps to protect themselves from the risk of harm or impact resulting from the data breach, i.e. they should review their bank account activities, their credit card activities and change their passwords. The other area where authority has changed the rules in Singapore is with regard to assumed consent. For most items, the authority recommends that you still obtain consent from the individual, but where that's not possible, then the authorities are saying that you can still process data in Singapore subject to the following exceptions. So for instance, you wouldn't need specific consent if the organisation or another person has a legitimate interest in the collection use of disclosure of the personal data again, very much like GDPR, or the organisation is a party or prospective party to a business asset transaction with another organisation, or the organisation is using the personal data for the processes of business improvement, or the organisation is using the personal data for the purposes of research. So some quite wide-ranging exceptions there of where you don't need specific consent from the individual, although, of course, Saturn Standard says that you should require personal consent wherever practical. The authority is also hinting at changes to come but not yet given a date, that the maximum penalty imposed on organisations for breaches of obligations under the PDPA will be increased to 1 million Singapore dollars or 10% of the organisation's annual turnover in Singapore, whichever is higher. It's thought likely that these new charges will come in from the 1st of February 2022. If we receive any further updates on changes to these regulations from the authorities in Singapore, we will of course bring them to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Staying in Asia, we thought it was worthwhile having a look at the first draft of the Personal Information Protection Law, known as PIPL, which China have released for public comment. And it's true to say that PIPL is widely regarded as Chinese GDPR. Prior to this legislation, China has adopted a consent principle in determining the lawfulness of processing personal information, which means that unless otherwise provided by law and administrative regulation, processing personal information should be subject to the personal information subject's informed consent. So rather like GDPR, PIPL is saying that consent is the standard you should aim for for any data processing. However, the draft here in China puts forward two new concepts of separate consent and written consent. Specifically, under the following conditions, separate consent should be obtained for processing, providing personal information to a third party, publicising personal information processed, processing sensitive personal information, using personal information which is collected for public security for any other purpose, and transferring personal information outside of China. Meanwhile, the draft requires that, if otherwise provided by law, written consent should be obtained when processing sensitive personal information. So the separate consent means that you'd need multiple consent boxes on any form so that people could consent to one or all or any combination of those options which we previously listed. What the new draft is saying is it's giving very restrictive view on what it takes as being implied consent. You can't just rely on legitimate interest in China for implied consent. 
And an example it gives of implied consent is if an individual wandered into a shopping centre where there was CCTV in operation and they saw a sign saying that CCTV was being used and that their images were being recorded, then by continuing into the shopping centre and carrying out shopping or even just walking through the centre, the individual was given implied consent for that CCTV to take place. Again, rather like GDPR, the PIPL very much focuses on individuals' right to withdraw consent and, again, just like GDPR, they're saying that withdrawing consent must be as easy as it was to give consent in the first place. However, all that said about consent, the PIPL does allow a couple of exceptions. It allows that personal information could be processed without consent where the processing is necessary either for the conclusion and performance of a contract with the individual or for the performance of statutory duties or for compliance with legal obligations, or for coping with public health emergencies or for the protection of the life, health, property and safety of an individual. Meanwhile, to carry out such activities as news reporting under the banner of public interest, personal information could process within a reasonable scope, although it does not define what a reasonable scope actually is at this stage. In another similarity with GDPR, the PIPL says that the data processor must notify the individual of the identity and contact information for the processor, the purpose and method of processing personal information and the type and retention period of the processed personal information, the method and procedure for the individual to exercise their rights under PIPL and other matters provided by law. So the real striking difference here between PIPL and GDPR is that PIPL does not really have a concept at all of legitimate interest. It is very, very much focused on consent, whether that consent is either mandatory or given voluntarily or is presumed. But the whole focus is around consent rather than legitimate interest. We will continue to watch the development of PIPL as it progresses through the Chinese legal system and of course bring you any significant updates here in further episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse Thursday, 4pm UK time. And finally this week, we thought we'd look at queries which we get into our help desk about passwords. Now, our personal view on this is there needs to be a mix between having passwords that people can remember, but at the same time making them difficult to guess. And they might do that by including capital letters or special characters within the password for example but also it's important not to make passwords too long i mean we've heard of people who have passwords where they have to be longer than 16 characters and frankly we think that's a bit ridiculous because the danger of having a very long password is that people will simply write it on a post-it note and stick it on their screen which is essentially saying to anyone who gains access to your premises or you know just gains access to a computer who shouldn't be there Well, here you go, here's the key. Come and open the gate and see what's inside. And so it's crucial that you get your employees against that idea of putting post-it notes with passwords or writing them in a little bit of paper that's somewhere easily visible on their desk, but instead making them so that people can remember them. But there are some things to think of, and that is users should not be allowed to create passwords with any commonly used dictionary words because they're easy for attackers to guess. So, I mean, a a real blinding obvious one is that your password shouldn't be password. But you'd be surprised at the number of people who use the password of password. The second thing is try and get your users not to use any personal information of themselves for the password. So, you know, not their own name, their children's name, their dog's name, their cat's name, whatever. Because, again, those are the sort of names which hackers in particular 
will try first to guess because they're a popular choice. And you should also try and encourage your employees to change their passwords reasonably regularly. Now, my personal guidance on this would be to say change the passwords every 90 days. There is an argument to say you should change them every 30 days or even every 7 days, but the problem with that again is you then get into the situation where people write them down. 90 days is about right, but what you should also do is stop people from just changing one character in their password. So you don't want somebody to use the password of cucumber and then the next 90 days they just change it to cucumber1 and then cucumber2, etc, etc, because that's not really secure. So yes, they can use the word cucumber the first time. They should think of a different word or a different number of characters the next time. Now, in an ideal world, of course, you're not just using passwords. You're now using multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication or as many people refer to it, 2FA. If you're unsure about how to implement 2FA, please contact us using the details which are coming up at the end of this article. But the actual use of passwords and the entry of passwords is only one side of the problem. The other side is, what do you do with those passwords? How do you store them in your database? The important thing is that those passwords, when they're stored in your database or your system, should not be stored in plain text. Because again, to a hacker, that's just an instant giveaway. Instead, make sure that they're encrypted. Now, there are various encryption algorithms. Some are better than others. And again, if you want any guidance from us on which algorithm is best to use for your particular situation, then please do contact us using the details that are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production. Until next time, bye-bye.